Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the April 18, 2017 edition of Ask a Leader. Today is the primary in the state, not the Republic, in the state of Georgia's 6th Congressional District to fill the seat vacated when Tom Price became Health and Human Services Secretary. Stay tuned for the outcome, folks. We're still in the middle of congressional work recess. Hope everyone's finding their respective forums in their congressional districts. And try to be seasoned about following the referendum in Turkey that cedes enormous power to Prime Minister Erdogan up until at least 2029. Count those years, folks, 12 years from now. Our president phoned in his congratulations, which is a gesture that requires our full attention. Our guest today for the entire hour, Margaret Mardudin, local expert extraordinaire on Russian affairs. She'll bring her inestimable context, insight, and nuance, which is in short supply on most things Russian, and she'll bring them up upon her return to this program. Be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My guest for the entire hour is Margaret Mara Duden with her, as I said, her inestimably modest and unflappable expertise on all things Russian. She's previously been on to cover the Sochi Games and then the conflict. I, I'm not sure. She's going to give me the right vocabulary, what's happened in Ukraine. She received her Bachelor's of Arts at Stanford, her Master's in Russian Literature at USC, and studied at UCI. She's returned from recent travel in Florence, Italy, and Paris, which includes the Trinity Russian Orthodox Cathedral. We'll see. Maybe she might have some measurements about how, thing, how different things might be looking in those cities from previous visits. So she is the, just the person to keep handling our wide-eyed questions about what's going on over there. From dusting fingerprints in and around Ukraine, we move now on to lawmaking in Russia and on to the proxy battle waging in Syria. What do Russians really think and what about the media they're consuming versus what we are consuming? Welcome back to the show, Peggy. Thank you. So we have a mutual friend, and I always refer to you as the great Mara Dudin, and I, I <laughs> oh, hope dear. you don't mind my saying this. I might even say it today. It suits, it, but it does suit every occasion that where you preside. A few things have transpired since you last appeared in the month of September 2014. With each week that goes by, it's difficult to fully wrap our arms, understand appreciably the developments with so many developments on so many fronts occurring. What are you most keenly studying as you have been a very faithful student of all things Putin? I have been studying Putin himself. Uh, I have been watching and looking at how his own worldview has changed since he came to power in 2000. And it's fascinating to think about what during his younger years uh, also influenced how he looks at the world today. Okay, and so I don't think we talked about how he came into power, it was beautifully yeah. laid out. The, this American Life did an amazing 
episode of multifacets about that, and they they really implicated Putin in moving into a power vacuum mm-hmm. with right. Boris Yeltsin's flagging leadership, uh, flagging sort of uh, application in leadership. So uh, that that was a guy that everybody underestimated, and he's he's just walked the the slope up and barely barely rolled back since two thousand. Yes, true, actually, and he did, yes, walk into a vacuum because by about 1999, uh, those who were playing with politics realized that Yeltsin's time was very limited, and uh, he also had been involved in a lot of the more corrupt situation of the privatization in Russia, uh, and he needed somebody who would come in and be strong. Uh, and he picked who was at that time the head of the FSB, that security forces, and that was Vladimir Putin. Now, Putin did grant uh, immunity to prosecution to Yeltsin, but also it's interesting to sort of remember that at that time, Putin said to Yeltsin, I don't like politics. Well, <laughs> and it's he said a lot of things, though. Every time, I think, when, yeah. whatever he utters, we just have to say the essential truth is these op- the opposite of what he's just uttered. Well, he didn't like politics at that time, and that's where I find it so interesting to hear, see his evolution. Because after his period of time in Dresden, uh, As the, the agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and working with the Stasi, et cetera, and so forth. He then took a sort of sharp turn and became an aide to a man named Sobchak, who at that time was mayor of, that time, Leningrad. Now we know it as St. Petersburg. And uh, he was doing fine. Actually, at that point, he was working with international companies, opening up St. Petersburg, which it became very quickly, they returned to that name. Uh, he also worked, and this is how he got to know so many of the very effective oligarchs that we'll know later, but also, I have to admit it, he also got very well acquainted with the mafia in St. Petersburg. It was one of the strongest mafia groups. Um, now, in the second election that came up, Sobchak put Putin in charge of the election, and Putin lost it. Sobchak lost. Okay. Oh. And it's at that point that I think he decided he didn't like politics, and he didn't like having to win over voters and things like that. Uh, and he was called to Moscow, and at that point, he was chosen to be director of the FSB. This was probably one of the things that Yeltsin did. And it goes on from there. The parenthetic part of that sentence, I don't like politics, parenthetically, but I love power. Yes. So that, w- that would be what would sort of, that the politics is going to be the vehicle to power. Well, his idea of power is also fascinating. He is one of the very, very few leaders of Russia during the 20th century uh, who comes from St. Petersburg, and that is the imperial city. That is the city that 
where you walk through gold doors on red carpets. If you've seen his on uh, television, and this is one of the favorite ones that <laughs> most of the news media like to show. Okay, yes. Uh, he loves palaces. He loves that royal sense of power, imperialistic even. Mm -hmm. We'll go back to the power theme here as we talk about how some journalists are posting it very adroitly that I, what you'll... Uh, can respond to that. So what are you following right now? I mean, you're, you're still studying him, but what uh, we were, we're talking informally outside before starting the show today, and you're talking about the fake news that mm -hmm. was the, yeah. the home office is, is well, your satellites around <laughs> Soviet Union. Actually, uh, yeah, although he actually hasn't got that much interest in uh, the former republics of the Soviet Union. He he likes to consider them part of his sphere of influence. But uh, really, truly, he kind of wants to do further afield, go further afield into Europe. Now we know he's wanted to go into the United States. And uh, he gradually learned. He doesn't like computers himself, which is interesting. How do you know that, Peggy? Oh, this is something that <laughs> you can pick up from all kinds of reports from excellent people who have actually known him very well. And it's even in his first book, First Person, so. Okay, he said right. himself. All, all right. right, he actually likes written files, strangely enough. No, that makes, now I get, of course, a KGB agent wants no th no trail. No. That's, and, that's why he wouldn't like yeah, the computer. Yeah. That explains it. And he prefers talking to people across the table. And you'll see that as well. Nevertheless, in his administration, there are a lot of people who know the power of the internet. And he has learned to listen to them and let them go ahead and do what they want. And there are buildings in Russia, all over Russia, especially in Siberia, but also in St. Petersburg, which they call troll palaces. And these are people who know how to manipulate the social media to get into things like Twitter and change words. <laughs> and it kind of mind-boggling, to tell the truth. Is that where the Sputnik media outlet is housed Sputnik through there? is in, in Moscow. Strictly, and th mm -hmm. is that um, that building has a, a sign on says Sputnik, or does it have no sign? <laughs> I don't actually know. I, I have been trying to avoid Moscow lately. Is that right? Rough, For how long? It's a rough city. Um, I was there about now. I think about eight years ago. Um, it's it's just a very. It's too big. It's too horrible. Traffic, getting around is very difficult. Uh, I do absorb as much as I can, but my home city is St. Petersburg. Okay. And it's not a, do you feel unsafe when you're, do you feel like you're being monitored in? Yes. In any place? Absolutely. Yes. And your spouse is, he's, he's Russian. Yes. He was, he was born in San Francisco. Okay. Of Russian parents who escaped at the time of the revolution. And so he grew up speaking Russian. Uh, uh, and actually until he went to school. Uh, where he went and they only spoke English. Fortunately, he had a twin sister so he could speak Russian to her. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
that fluency in Russian has helped him a lot, and he's gone back numbers of times. That's how I start, first started going, is to scientific conferences. He's, you're right. He's a chemist. Physicist. Physicist. Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> I, I should have just said physical science. I would have been ahead there. I, so th so yeah. it's, it's you feel monitored. I'm, and so I think uh, let's let's. While we're talking about what you're monitoring, are you, you were talking about how you feel being in any of those cities and your reticence to go to, to Moscow itself. What do you have to say about disappeared, in not so subtle ways, journalists, both inside and outside Russia, that is Russian journalists? Mm -hmm. They have had a very rough life. Uh, it is one of those things where um, they, um, if they say anything that goes against what is going on in the Kremlin, if they highlight, say, protests by people, uh, their offices will be sort of raided, their computers will be emptied, uh, and a lot of them have just either escaped to go to the United States or other countries, especially the United States and England, especially places like The Guardian. But also, um, they'll stay in Russia. There are some independent outlet, media outlets. and they're Those are? Hmm? Which are those? Uh, there's one called TV Dojd, and Dojd in English is the word for rain. Sort of oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the second one, interestingly enough, that has some independence is Novoya Gazeta. And they have a feeling that that's one that Putin lets kind of give free reign to. It doesn't have a wide circulation, but it is owned by some faithful oligarchs, and also one of the owners is Gorbachev. Is that right? Mm -hmm. He's a, an owner, and is he a contributor as well? No. Well, yes, he does actually contribute to it. He'll often write articles, and it'll appear in Novaya Gazeta. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'll get the spelling down so we can post that. It's, since yeah. it's English, we, we need to look at that. And well, also you can see um, TV Dojd. Yes. Um, it is on that channel that does so many uh, YouTubes. It's called Vice. Yes. And I don't know if any of you, you know, your uh, listeners have been on Vice, but I strongly recommend it. They have a very independent... Uh, crew that will go in and interview the people on uh, Deutsche TV. So who's supporting Deutsche? How do they stay? They're su getting supported by subscriptions on the internet. Strictly internet now. They've been taken off cable. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. anybody could be contributing. Yeah. Including other oligarchs. Including our own oligarchs. <laughs> That's side. true. It could be. So What's transpired? This uh, I'm going to say. So, do you see? We're going to go from the general to the specific. Do you see the? So we've got an uptick in supply of autocrats at this moment in time in April 2017. Does this have a a normalizing effect on how Putin is perceived? Let alone how he's operating. I think he's. I, strangely enough, I think he's quite acceptable among the leaders, especially of Europe and Asia. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, I'm, 
I have ne- to remember, for instance, Angela Merkel. Th- let's talk about yes. Yeah, she's 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 always felt fairly close to him because he can speak fluent German. Spending that time mm-hmm. in the, but she's close to him. But I, we all remember that famous moment when he hosted her bringing his i don't know black lab dog it was a lab not a german (laughs) shepherd and and knowing full well that she has a a fear of dogs and she she just pulled it off with such a pawn but so i guess she's she's an east german a tough east german so she's sort of ready for the next kind of undermining gesture from Mm -hmm. from not an opponent but from a colleague yeah and that a colleague is a better word for to describe well, him to her. She's almost like a grandmother to him. Oh, <laughs> is that real? Okay. She feels that she can lecture to him. Okay. But she also knows the unexpected from this misbehaving child. <laughs> so she has a different sort of strength then, a different uh, mm-hmm. power balance with him than oh, anybody else on the globe has. Yeah. So we ought to follow her cues then. Yeah. Although she doesn't give any of them away. But no, this is, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. Well, she's very strong for the United uh European Union. Right. Uh, strangely enough, she's a little quieter about NATO, which is the other uh, Vietnam of Putin. He's trying to destroy and destabilize both of those. But I think, well, there is a logic to that with a, a German profile in NATO given the the 20th century. So I, I think that can, we'll let mm-hmm. that ex- explain itself. Yeah. So I, I'd like to have you talk about, so let's let's be domestic, uh, go to the domestic setting. What we need to know about Putin, his relationship with his populace, how, and, and this is before you've been on, be, and so, and taking it forward, he remains extremely popular, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. a, a credible evaluation if it's up to, he's around 80% right. supported mm-hmm. by his public. And this and, is through an independent survey team that he set up ages ago okay that he set up but it's independent so mm-hmm. that's a it is. it's not an oxymoron a mm-hmm. moronic situation <laughs> so he remains popular because he like his populace hearkened back to the good old days sort of where they're making he's been making russia great again over and over for a country that was pulled apart Dishonored, discredited, uh, pillaged, and uh, well, and in- inwardly pillaging itself with the oligarchs redistributing all the wealth, all of it. There's probably nothing, not much left. So, how neatly does his view of the pure Russian and the the good old 1950s keep on being a gift that gives to his regime? He is, and this again comes from Saint Petersburg and his background. He uh, understands Russia from the standpoint of being a great nation. He's very much more a nationalist than a populist. And he wants it to be great again. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I have images of signs in Russia that show in Russian, let's make Russia great again, let's make uh, the world great again. He uses that phrase over and over again. And when would you date he used that? So that we oh, might use it this year. Uh, this year. But and last year. Yeah. So now who got that line from whom then? Did Trump get that from That's Putin? That's where I'm suspicious that uh, Putin is still sort of stage managing some of this. 
in, in the U.S. And I do think just recently you mentioned the changes of policy. I do think that Trump is becoming unpredictable, and Putin doesn't like that. Right, and we are really going to go into that. Uh, so b at first I want to make sure everybody is completely clear on why Putin just keeps on delivering and w why people are so well, unapologetically supportive. you have to remember that any time there was instability in Russia, chaos pursued, and it was pretty m horrible. And uh, so they don't really want to upset the stability that he provides, the continuity, the predictability to some extent, strangely enough. I say that because he still likes to take unexpected risks. Um, he's a very much manipulator. There's no question in my mind. Chaos wrapped in feel-good. Mm -hmm. Nostalgic <laughs> nationalism. Yeah. Very much nostalgic nationalism. I'm amazed that he's even been nationalistic enough to keep Lenin's body buried in that tomb on Red Square. I know there's a lot of talk about moving him, but Putin feels he's part of a great history. Right, that one. Well, for those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM. My guest is... Peggy Mar-Duden, our go-to analyst on Russian-American relations. We're talking right at this moment about the domestic side of Vladimir Putin making America, uh, making Russia great again. Well, he's he's making America great again too. I guess that that was no that was a, every bit of Freudian slide of mine. So he's providing. I mean, he's made able to keep everybody's minds off of. The, the lack of wealth that is available to the everyman. Yes. Yes. So he, that's how good at it he is internally. Well, not internally. There are some um, rumblings, uh, especially in the provinces. Which in particular? All of them. Oh, well, actually, Beyond. actually, I've noticed mostly in, in the south part. Okay. Yeah. Uh, two things that are really hitting Russia economically, one is the payment of pensions, and pensions have been lowered, and this hits the older generation. The second thing that's been hit is medical services, and he's spent so much more money on defense and upgrading the army, and not as much. Some people aren't getting paid even. So, pension. Support is down, medical expenses down. reduced, and mm. we know, like, real estate values are doing what they're doing everywhere in desirable places. And the most desirable places are, are in the southern part of Russia. Yeah. Are there also those problems with real estate becoming mm -hmm. out of reach of anybody and people having to sort of bunch up in more and more modest housing? Well, no, the housing has stayed pretty much the same. People sort of uh, in Russia don't change dwellings don't change houses they in they inherit them they would they stay in they the same can apartment now inherit but they most of the time if they've got something that they like they'll stay and even if what they like seems small to us they'll stay well i think we're the oversized real estate <laughs> consumers so i know we always round. look to upgrade right or increase size but not there not no. there all right well you were talking about how unpredictable that our 
sitting president has been. I, I was going to start that topic with how different this interview is today from how we would have had this interview one week ago, which is just less than a week. Yeah. So we before we had the whole proxy war going on in Syria, Putin played that perfectly yeah. to to maximize his fulcrum, the power in his fulcrum, mm-hmm. if I can use a physical, uh, I don't know if your <laughs> husband allowed that one, that analogy, but so he's leveraged a lot yeah. of his involvement there, and that's, I guess he's good with vacuums. That's what KGB yes, agents are good at. So this recent incident with uh, Trump ordering the Blackhawks uh, to hit the field, I don't know if most people realize it, but the United States warned Russia er, before this happened. I, I think that's been hitting most of the press. They I've have. been hearing it okay. repeated. I'm not sure, but okay. it is. Also, I don't know if they listened to Larry O'Donnell on, on MSNBC, but he shocked me, and I think he might have shocked a lot of other people when he said it was Putin with Trump who planned the gas attack. To distract and I I was amazed that somebody would go to that length of conspiracy theory and yet there's some validity to it I just because they were supposed to get rid of the chemicals and uh, this was Russia's responsibility uh, and the idea that it was a big distraction is what I'm trying to say and it gave Trump a moment of glory when he hit the Air Force Base. He didn't hurt the Air Force Base. They were flying out of there the next day. So anyway, that's just one of the many things that you sort of wonder. There are incidents that occurred. And uh, there's a wonderful book entitled Everything is, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. And that was, I'm not sure who wrote that. Which uh, Pomerantz. All right. You can put that on the um, Nothing website. is true and everything is possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the title of a book. And uh, so you actually, every time you hear something that's sort of strange, that doesn't quite click right, you think of that title. So... If we break this down without spending too much time on this, but that the gas was left there, somebody, the who's a, there's an accounting of that gas remaining there. And you don't so there's know. several parties involved in that. Yeah. And then the decision to use that gas mm-hmm. on which part of Syria, and then the decision of how to react to that. So there's a lot of... Mm-hmm. A lot of colluding. Yes. If those two set up you have to some remem- of this, you have to remember that Putin. And I'm going to go back to Please. his history. Uh, is probably the one behind. Uh, although you never, he never is in a position of being responsible for. No, but no. One, the one behind the bombing of Moscow apartments when he first took power, so that when in '95, yeah, and he could blame the Chechens. And well, they started then, but they went right on through until after he was already prime minister and then president. And uh, so he's willing to kill his own people. And that just disconcerts even me. 
that this man, to get his goals, he's even willing to go to that extent. Uh, I know they try to hush up the bombings around Moscow in that period, and I know he did get and enable the public to support him to go to war against Grozny and against uh, Chechnya. Yes. And he was successful. And I think the mark of a success is nobody's asking about why and how and where that about where that is well, that it can, happened he controls the media correct but, but even here on this side of the atlantic yeah there that is not a recurrent discussion topic and, and yet it should be so he played that mm -hmm. impeccably and actually you kind of wonder even with the murder of politskaya yes the, the journalist anna yeah, right she had been doing a lot of work in chechnya and reporting on what was going on and the brutal war that Putin was fighting at that point. So that's just one of the other milestones in Putin's evolution. Uh, I do don't want to get, I, w I do want to take a few moments. Yes, please do. And remind people of how he then continues to evolve because he becomes a strong believer for many reasons in um uh, protecting the idea of a state, and this is where it's very interesting when you think of Ukraine and Crimea. Right. But he becomes very angry with NATO and the United States especially. He is furious when Bush unilaterally invades Iraq. And I've noticed in reading that Putin is very emotional about these things. And he also is very, earlier than that even, he's very angry, angry at some of the uh, NATO activities in the, uh, uh, the Bosnia area, Serbia, bombing Serbia, things like that, that they're invading a sovereign state. And he's really furious when Gaddafi is attacked and the no-fly zone is set up there. And this builds in him. and. He speaks of it. I have now, you know, recorded his speech, especially in Munich in 2007. And uh, oh yes, I remember hearing mm -hmm. him. Yeah, 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 yes. That and was it, a big one. It was a big one, but people have forgotten it. And in it, he begins what he is going to be doing for the next couple of years. He is going to be blaming the United States for every kind of unsettled chaos in the world and that's what I was going to say it seems that it's fits it's a very tight logic his his being infuriated by that uh, incursion in Iraq that it it was so destabilizing in the entire Middle East that it, it adds well, more on puts more on his plate Middle East is still in chaos yeah yeah think about this and it is Putin blames the United States for all of these actions. Uh-huh, yeah. He, he sort of partially blames NATO as well, but he blames the United States first and foremost as the, and he almost really, <laughs> I think, lost his temper, but uh, when uh, Obama even said we are an exceptional country, he took issue with that tremendously. We are not exceptional. Uh, yes, and w okay. Threads here, threads. So, <laughs> and then I, yes, just to finish the story. Yes, please. Uh, he comes to the United Nations. He has not been in the United States since he visited Bush.
and that was Bush one before after the Munich address. Oh, uh, before right before. Okay, he was invited to Bush's ranch. Uh, so he when, even when he comes to the United States now, he helicopters into the United Nations enclave, and then helicopters out, and he stays out out of the United States. But that speech is very telling because he really does come down on invasion, disruption of sovereign states. And it's where he's voiced the famous quote, which I love to use, do you realize what you have done? Well, we actually, he's got company in that quote. <laughs> he's got so much company. Yes, he does. For those of you who've joined us, th- we're listening to the inestimable Peggy Mardudin, to our go-to analyst, about all things Russian. She's focusing here on Putin. We're trying to cover folks what you are not hearing covered elsewhere for your getting an intimate grasp, co- lots of context and nuance about what what's going on. And we talk a lot of times on Ask a Leader about trying to avoid, steer clear of the shiny objects so we know what of consequence we should be following. And that's why Peggy Mardudin is such the go-to analyst to bring here t- to the show. Well, you talked about Politskaya, mm-hmm. who... She was killed in the early 2000s. So, and I mean, you could go and you can Google how many journalists have have died, and they're not they're not subtle sorts of assassinations. They're they're very symbolic acts, gestures to everyone. So, I I want to bring up what Masha Gessen, uh, also a journalist, and she it, in her portfolio, she's also a lesbian. So she needed to get out before as a journalist speaking truth to power, as a, a mother with a lesbian partner, how to keep the whole household safe. She had a lot of things. So she's still speaking truth to power here. I know that you must be following her. What do you, um, She must be very concerned and rattled about her, her own sort of longevity. Well, I think she is. I'll be interested to know how she is protecting herself living in New York, as she does. It's not easy. <laughs> um, and I don't know. Uh, I know she has some family or some brothers, and I think they're still in Russia. I'm not sure on that. But anyway, she's a very interesting character, very powerful spokesman for anti-Putin anti-present-day uh, Russia. She's making a concerted effort to appear on many at many different media outlets. So, and it's, I don't think it's not every day, but she's. I think it's increasing. It's sort or it comes in batches with mm-hmm. uh, with different platforms. Yeah. So she's she's very rattled. And she is also trying to say the Russia Gate. That's a shiny object to her. We ought to be looking at m- the deeper relationships and this and this sort of dynamic going on, you were going to say? Well, no, I I just know from personal experience uh, when we lived in, well, then Leningrad, that is a very homophobic society. Uh, It's homophobic, and this comes from the Orthodox Church. And actually, I don't, coming here this morning, I was listening to a man reporting on the horrible crackdown on gays in Chechnya. Right. Now, of course, that is a society that's run very tightly with the Shara law 
and that's very homophobic. <laughs> but it is homophobic in, in the rest of Russia. Uh, nevertheless, there are usually, even in the provincial big cities, uh, homophobic cafes and things like that. There are places for them to gather. But really, there's been attacks on them, and Putin just looks the other way. Well, it's part of his making Russia great again. Mm -hmm. It's all about the 1950s well, yeah, white and, Russia. And it's all about him being a manly man. <laughs> That's right. why you always see me, even in cartoons, bare-chested with the cross on. Right, right. I'm thinking with of Saturday cross. Night Live. Oh, yeah. oh, that's right. They do put the cross on that satire oh, yeah. piece. So Masha Gessen <laughs> is zeroing in on now. I mean, as we said, every, every day practically is changing what you would be saying about mm -hmm. the dynamic between Putin and Trump. And she's watching carefully. She's recently posted about how... Trump has, I'm going to quote her, however, unwittingly has called Putin's bluff what happens now. And she's talking about the recent pronouncement of our president that NATO's now become, it's no longer obsolete. It's just with the stroke of, a, not even the stroke of a pen, with the sweep of the hand motion that it's now, NATO <clears throat> is no longer obsolete. That one Putin, as astute a player and a political read as he is, he didn't. I don't think he saw that. He sure no. didn't wish it. No. So I what can't. is cascading from the the pivot toward NATO and and the Syrian sort of pronouncement of Assad as a now a, a bad dude, as he would say. <laughs> Again, this is a strange thing that I don't know. His advisors are changing, Trump, and I have a feeling that they are turning away from uh, Putin and listening to things that Putin wants. But what I'm also fascinated with is, um, you know, he doesn't release his tax returns as <laughs> the protest thing. And well, uh, it's, it's a very, it's very important. It is important. And I agree with it. And I think it's needed, but he's not going to do it, partly because I think he's received money from Putin. And I think he has received uh, some uh, shares of uh, Rosneft, which is one of the biggest, you know, businesses. And I think his tax returns will show this. So this is why he's not going to release them. Uh, no, there's been a lot. It's going to very interesting because the two have never met. Never have met. No. Their surrogates, though, know each other well they, and they transacted yeah. deeply. And as one son has mentioned, we have we have so much activity and we have assets well, in there. Uh, actually, they have so many oligarchs who own property in South Florida. <laughs> and what can you do? Mm -hmm. Right. For uh, at, at the highest And, by the, the way, bid. quite a number of them own apartments in Trump Tower in Manhattan. And that that's always getting coverage. Yeah. That, that's That's been the case. So... We sort of quake in the wake of Trump's machinations, but it's it's actually there's a tactical piece of this that's disabling Putin. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of that? It's dangerous. It's going to be and dangerous. It's yeah. Peculiar. Mm -hmm. Very strange, and I think uh, I follow that everything is <laughs> nothing is true and everything is possible. 
because I even look at this bombing in northern Afghanistan. Right. And interestingly enough, Russia has started to move into that region. It is talked to the people in Tajikistan. They've created a, a multi-military uh, sort of defense. And it is the Taliban that is blocking this. And I'm almost wondering again, did somebody <coughs> from Trump administration sort of drop a hint, get rid of the Taliban? It's just not, yeah, you see how it builds your sense of conspiracy, your sense of anything goes. So I want to pass the quiz Sure. that <coughs> the Russians are moving in Tajikistan. So they're moving they're, down into it, the northern it, uh, Afghanistan. And northern Afghanistan. So is the Chinese. And so who's blocking the t Taliban? That we're trying to block the yeah, Taliban. We dropped that bomb. We dropped the bomb there. And for those of you who are not weapon geeks, and I'm no weapon geek, but <coughs> there is posted, though, the Russians say, you've got the mother of all bombs, we've got the father of all bombs, and they are, I don't know what the Russians are seeing on their television, but it's not hard to get a look at their thermorabic de uh, weapon system that the, the Russians have, that this power struggle is ratcheting only in one direction. Yeah. More dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, by the way, and it's very strange how little um, Russia is involved in the North Korea crisis, and yet Russia shares a border with North Korea. Right. So you just sort of wonder there what's going on. Is Putin encouraging North Korea to challenge the United States? Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Is you have to ask these questions. And these questions aren't the normal uh, today's questions. You have to look at the past, Putin's evolution, his also change of administration. He has a very strong person as defense minister. Um, he's brought in new people. He's gotten rid of old people who could be charged with corruption, even though there's still plenty of corruption. Right. But you constantly have to ask normal questions and then abnormal questions. Peggy, it seems to me that this has a kind of a symmetry with how the West was able to undermine the USSR by forcing them to spend down their national treasury to fortify the civil service system to survive an attack. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I so that there, all of those, all of that infrastructure was at a huge cost mm -hmm. to that society. So is the the other side of that happening with Putin setting up so many conflicts to keep a Trump administration dancing all the time that they're going to be so distracted, spread so thin, well, Putin moves into whatever vacuum he chooses. Well, actually, it also is a distraction from the Russian investigation by Congress. Correct. Think about it. Oh, yeah. And when you think of everything, that strange thing that happens, you wonder if this is part of the distraction because uh, Putin strongly believes in distracting. And it's showing. And showing, yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it's a fascinating, dramatic world we live in right now. So the thing that they both understand <laughs> about each other, and Masha Gessen has been p talking about this 
most recently and why she wants us to take our minds off our uh, views off of the 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 Russia gate but that both Putin and Trump everything they are doing is for the shared value of power mm-hmm. and that the yes that <clears throat> as as she she mentioned that when Secretary of State Tillerson visited Russia, he didn't go to the usual sorts of venues, including civil rights activists, you know, discreetly meaning. He didn't do any of those things. It's all about playing their highest cards in this poker game. Yes, actually, uh, you just reminded me of yes. one of the things. Uh, one of our great mistakes or missteps was in the Obama period. First of all, he lectures when he goes to Russia. He lectures and, in a way, pointing a finger at Putin, you listen to me kind of thing. And then he appoints Michael McFaul as ambassador, and that was a major mistake. Michael McFaul's expertise was in the colored revolutions. The which revolution? Colored revolutions. I don't know those. Of East Europe. Okay. You have the uh, Orange Revolution in Ukraine. Oh, that's Ukraine. right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, the Orange Revolution, the Velvet Revolution, mm-hmm. which is not a color, but and McFall actually has that mentality. That's been his focus. And when he first arrives in Russia, he sees Putin, and the next day he sees the leaders of all the dissident parties. And that was not the way to do it. No. Wow. And then the famous quote from what Obama said at his last press conference in December, and this is word for word, the Russians can't change us or significantly weaken us. They are a smaller country. They are a weaker country. Their economy doesn't produce anything that anybody wants to buy except oil and gas and arms. They don't innovate. Mm -hmm. So that's the lecturing both to the American public and over the Atlantic, and that was how tactically a bad idea. Mm-hmm. No, he was saying all the wrong things. There, these are things that are true if he, that are not astute to say. No, yeah, right. And really, there uh, again, he, he does say it, but you don't listen to how much they do have that they can export. And he left out one of the most important what? things, which is agriculture. And still today... Russia feeds a large part of Eastern Europe, but it's also sending uh, agricultural goods into other parts of Southeast Asia. And the agricultural area is growing and being restructured. Uh, it's one of the things that's saving the economy. Which is a, a real reversal of what the great, mm-hmm. ama- great make Russia great yeah. in the earlier times where the agriculture was mm-hmm. the scandal that's that right. brought that wiped out, brought the starvation to the millions. Yes, that's true. So that's, my gosh, this irony is more than I can yeah. bear here yeah. on, a, on a live program. So so Obama's lecturing and McFall being the point guy mm-hmm. were some in astute, impotent moves then yes, from our administration. Yes, actually, begin to feel McFall understand his position better with Sochi. Okay. And that's when he starts to make good comments on uh, television. Shochi is a fascinating thing. I mean, we can't wait to read more about what happens. But that, to a large extent, uh, Sochi was privately funded by the oligarchs. Yeah, I think not that by was the known. state. Right, right. 
and terribly expensive. Corruption was huge. And it was safe because Putin told the mafia, make it safe. Okay, everything. So security was underwritten privately, yeah, like the infrastructure. <laughs> everything was, and and the, the and yeah. the performance was underwritten, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it was a rigged performance too. So it was, yeah, everything it was. was managed. Everything is false. <laughs> oh, there's the title again. Here it is. I I know I keep returning to that because it's the it's best essential. way to understand uh, Russia and. Uh, I do worry because we lost a lot of the experts in the State Department on Russia, and they need to know the background. They need to understand the even pre-revolutionary mentality. And the mentality is in Russia that they want a strong leader and leader who will advance Russia's position in the world and be treated as an equal by the great other great powers. Mm-hmm. This is an old, old approach, old mentality, and Putin has it. And the leaders who are born in the south part of Russia or in Ukraine don't have that same sense. So, the, but the sense in the Stans and Chechnya, they, they understand all of that. So maybe there's a little tilt in... In tactics and in dynamics toward mm-hmm. toward them, that those republics. Well, it's especially true in Chechnya. A little bit in now, Dagestan. Is that what you said? Because I heard uh, any of the Stans. I don't oh, know. Oh, you okay. I, you know them much better. Well, actually, they're part of the North Caucasus region, and they're part of Russia. And uh, in Chechnya, you do have this strong man in power who drives society the way he wants it and he is responsible for a lot of the strange things that occur for example he sent troops into east ukraine yes yeah he's also the one probably responsible for nemtsov's assassination outside of the kremlin walls that very public one they're on the bridge yeah on the bridge and he has proclaimed that putin is his father figure. Wow. It is a wow. And again, that, that's what did in Politskaya. So we have another yeah. week of we, events that will unfold. Yeah. What, what, are, what is something that you would like to leave us with that you're watching <laughs> unfold for after a post-detonation of the the, the Moab now, it's just replaced the, I mean, we've almost forgotten about the Tomahawk missiles lo- lobbed. That's we, right. Mm-hmm. So I want to just quickly say that the bomb that the Russians have in their arsenal, it has 11, no, 11, oh, ours delivers 11 tons yeah. of TNT. Theirs is 44, so four mm-hmm. times that. And if we can wrap our minds around what our weapon. So this week is going to be a fresh string of events. What do you wonder at what might be happening we're going to look we'd look back on next week and what happened to us this week oh boy that's a tough question i understand that (laughs) and And, um but actually um we have the french elections coming up that's right and they are very involved and this is very much there's a lot of hint of russian involvement meddling in the french election and then later uh toward the end of the summer in september you have the german elections as well 
And I'm intrigued that the Dutch elections worked, came out okay <laughs> on the more liberal side on the the more cosmopolitan more cosmopolitan. as if we if that's a value then it was more cosmopolitan yeah. and it was a redirection of where the momentum otherwise was going there is a great deal more to say yes and i i acknowledge yeah. that because of the your range and your your depth and so i hope that we'll keep an open invitation mm-hmm. going okay. for you to return to ask sure. a leader margaret peggy maradudin it's been <laughs> A real pleasure to have you on today's Ask a Leader. Thank you for being on. Thank you. The Cousins Club is going to have a meeting tonight, at, I believe it's at 7, on anti-Semitism. A brief presentation on the origin and its many facets. It's still at the Irvine Ranch Water District offices there at 15500 Sand Canyon Avenue. The March for Science is this Saturday on the anniversary of Earth Day, you can find any and all locations for for getting for brushing up against an, a, a lab coat, if you'd like. The, a eugenics talk will be presented by the law school on the 23rd at 2 p.m. At, at Research Central Sue and Bill Gross Hall. KUCI will be funding a drive coming up. We're uh, May 1st to 12. Start thinking about how much you want to match our grant and how generous you'd like to be when that time comes. This was my wrap. Next week, returning to Ask a Leader are Roger Goss, Karl Mars, activist with the local UN Sustainable Cities chapter with an upcoming local forum where they'll be promoting Climate Action's April 29 events. And then on to UCI drama professor Daphne Lay with her director Ricardo Rocha of the upcoming play I Dream of Chang and Ang. It's running from April 29th to May 7th, so you can put that down your calendars. She's cooking up some other worthy projects as well. She'll get a chance to talk about. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs>